Hello everybody and welcome back to the GMS Magazine podcast channel, the RPG Interview Room. I am Paco Garcia, your host, and this is the first podcast of the year of 2019, uh, because to be perfectly honest, this interview has been recorded for quite a while now, and um, quite frankly, I've just been so, so up to my eyeballs prepping for some crowdfunding in Spain to get out a couple of books that I, I just haven't had the chance and I'm, I'm doing this because I have, it's about time and I have to apologize to Ed Healy, the, the victim of our interview, um, because I should have got this out a lot sooner. Uh, but anyway, here it's going to be now and, and I hope that you're going to enjoy it as much as I did uh, doing this interview. Although I have to say, it was a very difficult interview for me to conduct because, um, as, as you may know, Ed is a specialist in, among other things, in, in marketing for RPG companies. And um, being a publisher, I, I was, I am, very interested from the point of view of a professional publisher. But I didn't want the whole interview to be, uh, you know, a consultant a consultancy session for me. I, I wanted it to be an interview that, that you could enjoy as well. And that made it very hard because it was quite difficult um, not to fall into the, the kind of, um, you know, questions and uh, consultancy that I, I would have wanted. So anyway, it was, a, it was a little bit hard, but Ed was an absolute champion and uh, went with it. Uh, marvelously, I have to say, and gave some absolutely fantastic information that I hope you are going to enjoy. So, without further ado, uh, get a drink, put your feet up, make yourself comfortable, and enjoy the interview. I'll talk to you later. Welcome back after, uh, well, four years, because um, I interviewed you last time before I moved to Spain, and that was in 2015, so it must be at least four years. Way too long. Way, way, way too long. Yes, and I'm still convinced that you will eventually make it to the United States, and uh, when I'm in the same location, we'll be able to actually meet in the flesh, which will be nice. Well, I, I tell you something, uh, and I'm being very honest about this. Uh, anybody who knows me on Facebook knows this that I, I will go back to the US when you get rid of Donald Trump. Uh, I will not visit while that man is in charge because, quite frankly, your country right now scares the hell out of me. It really does. Yeah. So um, hopefully very soon because I, I, I want to go to Gen Con. I just want to go to Gen Con. Do you want to go to Gen Con? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, who knows? Maybe I'll be at a Dragon Meet sometime. Or, uh, no, what was... shows do you have in Spain that are worth going to? That's what I want to know. Oof. None, essentially. And none uh, at all. Challenge. You have a challenge you need to accept. Well, except... GMS Con or something. Well, the thing is, Spain is very good. I think extremely good at organizing very small conventions. And lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of them. But... Uh, right now, we don't really have a large convention. The largest 
uh, the moment is called Ludo Ergo Sum uh, and happens in Madrid. And I don't think people go there, but it's literally just a sports arena that gets filled with tables and people playing. That, that's it. That's all they do. There is no trading or barely any. There's nothing at all. There's no culture of, of trading. And there's another one in August called No Man's Land uh, that is just uh, people in rooms playing games for a whole weekend. It's, and it's okay. Tiny. So it's mostly just play events. Yes. Game days, or like game days. Yes. It's um, you know, I, I could tell you what the market is like in Spain, and you would probably have uh, some sort of you know heart attack or similar because it's um, uh, Stone Age. It's, it's horrific. Did you? So there was an event called Game On in um, I think in Madrid. Yes. In December of last year, so a year ago. Did you go to that? No, I didn't, and it was repeated this year again uh, last weekend. Actually, okay. and I didn't I didn't go because the reviews from the first year weren't all that positive. And okay. it seems that this year they have become a little bit better, but it is mostly uh, board games because it's sponsored by Asmodee. So uh, um, not very many role playing games yet, uh, but it's apparently it's growing. So if it keeps growing in maybe a couple of years, it will be an event worth exploring. Certainly, but right now, um, no, I don't think so. Not yet. No. Okay. Anyway, we're, we're here to talk about you, but, um, you know, because it's been so long since, since we have an interview, sure. I, I, I have to make sure that you know how to answer questions. So um, um, we're going to right. start with a, with a quick, easy exercise. Um, so I'm, I'm going to ask you five, five questions um, and, and make sure that you can answer them. So uh, first question, uh, tea or coffee? Oh, coffee. Okay, good. That's a good answer. Um, second question. Uh, the mountain or the beach? The mountain. Okay, that, that's a good quick one as well. Um, uh, fantasy or science fiction? Fantasy. Okay, good, good. Um, bikes or cars? Bikes. Okay, and last question. Vampires or zombies? Oh, boy. I'm going to have to say zombies. Okay. You asked me five years ago, I would have said vampires. Okay. No, I'm no. Have to say Both. Zombies. Good. Good. You answered. That's, that's the important thing. So that, that's it. You know how to answer questions. That's what I do know how. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. I have opinions and I will share them with you. Ooh, oh, oh, I like that. I like that. Right. Okay. Um, let, let's talk about you a little bit um, because you are now doing uh, logistics and you do marketing for, mm-hmm. uh, for role playing games and gaming companies, etc., and uh, crowdfunding. Correct. Now, um, Kickstarter has been the best shot in the arm that the RPG world has had since ever, I think. And uh, thanks to that... Certainly since the OGL. Yes. It's, it's, it's just amazing how well it's done. Have you seen, as, as a marketing and crowdfunding expert who helps companies and, and individuals to get there... Have you seen that the average campaign has improved in quality between now and when Kickstarter started a few years ago? Are things getting better? Yes and no. Okay. Uh, Yes, in the sense that people know what they're doing more. 
um, but the, the platform's changed. Um, so certainly there's more people there, so that's good because more people means more opportunity. Um, you know, back in, see, the first project we ever did was Gaming Paper Adventures back in 2010. And, um, you know, we were happy with $11,000. We are like, that's cool, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? Um, you know, Arc Dream Publishing did Godlike back then and, you know, um, got $3,500. Like, yes, we, you know, it helped that's us amazing. with our printing. Yeah, exactly. Um, but people, the, the consumer has changed their expectations. I mean, it's no longer a lot of the experimentation that was going on back, you know, eight years ago is is not there anymore. Um, you know, we went through the whole Kickstarter exclusive phase, and some people still do them, but some, um, but they've largely become things that people frown upon in some ways mm -hmm. certainly not the consumers but some do and so everything's a calculation now um certain things that people you know that we we played with in the 2011 2012 2013 era um are no longer no longer possible because there's just so many people in the market. There's so many projects. So I think you, you're seeing like a bifurcation. You've got big projects like um, um, Pinnacle just did a, a really big Savage Worlds project, you know, half a million dollars um, and um, solid. And Onyx Path continues to do solid projects, some more, more successful than others. But I think that's largely a feature of the, of the, of which product line they're doing not necessarily that onyx path is getting better or worse at doing them so you know geist has a certain audience whereas um dystopia rising they did recently um let's say three months ago um, has a different potential because it, you know it's related to a larp and it's got a different you know it's a post-apocalyptic thing whereas geist is related to to the world of darkness in in some ways so i think it's the product line that for them is determining which project is um, more successful than the other and i don't think you can compare them necessarily right like a vampire the masquerade project is hard to compare to um pugmire for mm -hmm. instance right two totally different audiences but onyx path has figured out how to do the projects and so um, they have a reputation i think they're in the you know 20 something projects now so they have a reputation and so i think it might be harder for um I think it may be harder for new companies to break into the industry um, through Kickstarter because of the noise um, and uh, to get traction. That doesn't mean they shouldn't do it because that's that's publishing in general, right? Whereas, you know, 10 years ago, sorry, or eight years ago, there were so so many fewer projects that pretty much anybody who was interesting and interested in Kickstarter, they would just kind of review the current projects and it wouldn't take you that long. But right now there's almost a thousand of them. So it would take you a while to kind of paw through them all. I kind of liken it to like, if you were going to a used record store, right? right? Eight years ago, they might've had 40 records and I can paw through 40 records in the span of 20 minutes and, and decide whether I want any of them. But today, if you went into the same record store, the, the entire store would be filled with used records and finding, even knowing if, uh, if a particular new offering is even there is, is, is just harder. And so I think, you know, now potential publishers need to 
rely on community building and social media and, and, and basically learn to do marketing, essentially, um, in order to, um, to break into the consciousness of the people. That being said, there are tons more people on the platform now, so therefore um, you at least have more potential if you can successfully communicate with people. Said, it's a, it's a it's a more mature platform is what I'm trying to get at. Yes, but as, as you said, you know, um, companies need to learn about marketing. And one thing I've said for years and years and years uh, is that RPG companies generally are pretty rubbish at marketing. I mean, as in really really bad at marketing. Um, are you saying that they're getting any better? That they're paying more attention to it now? Well, well, some, um, you know. 10 years ago, um, even video game companies were bad at marketing. Mm. So I, I can't really, you know, you can't really fault them. Um, but the truth is that you're always going to see that. I mean, look at the restaurants in your town. Some are good at getting the word out and some aren't. And, um, and the, the good news is that I think some of the tools that we have available to us, you know, Kickstarter being one of them, um, but Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, podcasts, blogs, you know, they've been around long enough that if you're willing to put in the effort, you can learn, um, you can learn how to use them effectively. I think probably when it comes to RPGs and I've, I've known this ever since Ron and I were doing atomic array, um, you know, a decade or so ago that it's not just that the tools are there, but you also have to remember that there's people using the tools. Mm -hmm. And, um, if you're, if you're Paco and you're, doing your podcast and your blog and you've got a product you'll say that you want to do um you have a certain personality and you're okay with talking with people obviously we're talking right now you enjoy it and so you're probably better predisposed to um making use of social and and your your community to get the word out whereas if somebody's tentative they're not used to being in front mm -hmm. if you will my my advice to them might be um to have realistic expectations if they're not willing to to kind of do the things you need to do to to build relationships um the first thing i always ask people is do you want to be published or do you want to be a publisher because as soon as you do a kickstarter you have a business yes you're not but if all you want to do is be published you might want to find a publisher at that point so you don't have to deal with all the other stuff now let, let's assume though that there are people who actually want to be published but um they either can't find or they don't know the industry well enough they don't know enough people in the industry to 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 become published by a company mm -hmm. uh, which let's face it is it's also quite difficult to find a company that will be willing to publish because uh, as you said there's so so many projects and quite well, that and most most rpg companies are run by creatives and they want to publish their own stuff exactly. they don't want to publish somebody else's stuff exactly and uh, let's face it all every single rpg company out there is pretty tight when it's about stuff they, they just don't have enough people to cover absolutely everything um, right they're they're very small companies all of them including the big ones yeah most of them are pretty small yes so um they, they, they cannot um publish absolutely everything how how can somebody identify whether to do it themselves and what external help they actually need in order to succeed it would be good if somebody was uh started with just self-awareness you know whether what their what their goals are if their goal is to just i have my thing i want to publish it 
I'm gonna I want to use Kickstarter because I don't have the money, right, mm. uh, to do it. But um, I don't want to you know see if another publisher wants it. I just want to get it out in the market. Well, they need to understand that they're probably well, one, they need to spend some time doing it. You know, you can't just decide today that I want to do it and tomorrow launch a project and expect it to do anything, but also to be realistic um, about what the likely results are. And they may need, you know, I, I think sometimes, you know, you have this vision in your mind for what you want for your product or your product line or your, or whatever creative endeavor you're doing. But then there, you, you may have, you know, a level 10 expectation, but maybe your skill set in your current community is realistically only going to be able to allow you to do a level two or a level three thing. So maybe you should scale back your expectations. And I, if I, if I'm allowed to pull in an example, that's not a role playing game, I would just point people to things like, for instance, Kingdom Death Monster, which is a, um, a board game. Yeah. And they all, everyone always focuses on the millions of dollars that they, they raise, but you know, years and years and years before they did that, they did a project for one miniature. Okay. That's it. Hmm. Small. Right now, whether or not they had a game at that point or not, I don't know. Um, but, you know, they started with something small. And um, and so it might be where, let's say I, you and I wanted to do a Pirates and Zombie game, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so we have this entire idea of what we could do with it. Um, it might be useful for us to start with something small. Um, if we're doing our own system, then maybe just uh, uh, putting out a smaller product seeing if we can do well by our audience for a smaller product and then go back to that audience assuming that we've done well by them to do more in the future and that's kind of like a long-term uh, being patient i guess a little bit of self-awareness coupled with patience uh, it's very rare that you can come from nowhere and and change the world in a matter of you know a month which is pretty much what a kickstarter is right a month mm -hmm. so Okay, so um, we we let's assume that you know um, let let's assume that I'm a company, you know, like myself, a little, mm -hmm. and and I want to break into the Kickstarter market, and I know is is quite hard uh, because as you said there's an awful lot of, of projects out there, and um, I know that there are, I mean companies like yours, you offer some some services that sure uh, you know can could could help me uh, get the project up and running and going. So the, the first thing some people would say, including myself is, okay, how, how do I know I am going to get a, a return for for my money? So I guess the question would be, mm. what, what would, would you offer? You know, that, that would make sure that my money is well invested and, and well spent. Well, so, I'm going to answer your question after I, I, I ask you a question. Okay. Um, the first thing to realize, just like with role-playing games, is that most of the stuff that companies like ours offer, you could do on your own. Mm -hmm. um, it really comes down sometimes to the amount of time you have and willingness to learn. So that's very similar to role-playing games. I mean, the little dirty secret is that nobody actually needs a role-playing game. You know, you can make believe in storytell without one. Yes. Um, really, what you're paying for is the convenience of not having to do all that work yourself, right? Okay. Um, so, you know, our pirates and zombies example, like you, if you wanted to play a pirates and zombie game, you could make up the rules yourself and do it yourself. But you're paying, you know, GMS, let's say, to make a pirates and zombie game uh, because you don't want to spend the 300 hours it would take you to figure all this stuff out. 
Um, and, and honestly, marketing is very similar. Um, some people um, they just kind of need to realize that if they can be patient, they can build that community around their stuff. And I think the biggest thing that people, the biggest mistake people make is that they wait until they're done before they talk about it. Okay. The best thing they can do is start talking about it while they're making it. Right. So, you know, let's say, you know, pirates and zombies. So you and I are making it. So we should start talking about this idea we have for a pirates and zombie product and then um, get on RPG geek and Facebook and Instagram and places. So let's say we get some art assets and throw them out there and, and get people uh, interested and start noting the people that are interested, communicating with them. Um, maybe in your case, I would be like, well, you know, a couple podcasters, why not see if they'll talk to you about your product even before it's ready to go, you know? Um, I think people confuse often they think about you know marketing as well if i just put money into a black box what comes out the other end um, it's more than just like buying an, an advertisement it's the entire ethos of how you communicate with your potential customers okay. um and 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 that's part of that calculation between being a publisher versus being published because if you're going to be a publisher you need to be willing to speak with people you, you need to be willing to you know, get in the comments on your posts and, and ask for um, people to to give you feedback and be willing to to spend the time and that uh, unfortunately for many creatives that's a problem because they want to create they don't want to spend time talking to people <laughs> you know they, what excites them isn't you know um, conversating with people it might be just sitting in their in their cocoon and creating things then they just hope that people will like them but gone are the halcyon days of kickstarter where you can just put something up and people will see it and then go well, that's kind of interesting i'll throw money at that and the biggest problem is because the platform has changed at the beginning people understood that you were really kind of giving people money to help create something very much like what wolf did with the um, open design projects before kickstarter was even a thing right people were giving him money to be a part of the creation process and now they kind of look at more like kind of look at it as a pre-order system they really do want you to kind of be there and be done and that's a hurdle um and so but the services that we offer the first thing i like to do is kind of get an idea of the product so if it was you and you had a product that you were wanting to make even if you had no art i'd want to read it i'd want to play it i'd want to figure out if if i think that there is uh something there right because the last thing i want to do is uh, make somebody think that um i can help them when i don't think i can and i've many times told somebody i can't help them mm -hmm. <laughs> unfortunately um but you know that's our first step and you know you don't need me to do that you can talk to anybody um you know i'm assuming that if you had the time and you knew somebody let's say a friend of yours that you met in Bar you know in barcelona one day and they're like i have an idea for a role-playing game that i want to talk to you about it's about Viriathus and his uh his uh, struggles against the Roman Empire, you know, hundreds of years ago. Great. You might be willing to kind of take a look at it for him, right? Um, yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. If I... Sure. And, and, yeah. and if not, then, you know, it, but, but, you know, you might be willing to, but that's all predicated on your relationship. Yes. Um, but you would at least give him, as somebody who knows a thing or two about role-playing games, I would say, you would be at least be willing to give him an idea of whether you thought it would ring true with people. Yeah. Um, and so beyond that, beyond, let's say I, I get a project, uh, a product and I go, you know what? I think this is, this has got legs. Then I would 
uh, probably want to counsel people to assume that whatever they think in their mind is it's going to cost and whatever timeline they think in their mind exists that they need to double the amount of money they think they need and triple the amount of time they need um, because you know getting art and getting editing and getting layout and getting all that those things I think vastly people underestimate those so a lot of the times that a lot of the effort that we put into communications with publishers is to kind of um, throw a little cold water on their expectations <laughs> you know mm. um, because they sometimes they have rose tinted glasses on yes you know and they think that well you know it's uh i think i can get you know spend a hundred dollars in art and in in two weeks i'm gonna have books back and i'm like what? Mm, no, no, <laughs> i don't know if like that's that. really accurate <laughs> i don't know if it's really accurate um it gets really complicated depending on where you're making your game you know you're in spain if you have a publisher uh, sorry manufacturer you're using in spain then you have a different type of situation than if you're using uh a manufacturer in Lithuania or China or US or somewhere else you know you have all those weird things that you have to consider like VAT and shipping and and all these different little things that you have to consider and so a lot of the other thing we do is try to educate publishers as far as those cost structures and that's really what I would say the education side of it is a, is a big part of on the, on the logistics side what we offer you know, when people go and they send their, their SKU lists and the size of the books and stuff to Joey and, and he comes back and goes, hey, well, I, I think that it will cost this much to ship. Mm -hmm. So then they can make decisions financially about what they're going to charge for shipping or how big the book should be. And there's, there's so many different little things that uh, I can't list them all for you, right? But, um, you know, how big is your book? Will it fit into free shipping? Um, boxes or, or what are the shipping options and underestimating what shipping means to a, to a product um, can be problematic Yeah. because, you know, if you're asking me to spend, let's say $30 on an RPG book or $40 on an RPG book, um, but it's going to cost me $30 in shipping, it's going to be a hard sell. Yes. Right. And you, you definitely deal with that in Europe, right? Because a lot of products coming across the Atlantic ocean um, from the U.S. to Europe, but also that goes the other way. If you're um, a publisher in Europe trying to reach the American market, um, or any market, in, in, in fact, um, you have challenges that you need to kind of, kind of consider um, that are totally outside of the realm of how is this game of Pirates and Zombies actually going to be fun? True, right? Um, true, because in, in particular in the US, you guys are used to very, very inexpensive shipping compared to Europe, as in really, really inexpensive. And, and I have paid more for shipping for a book from the US than the cost of the book itself. Right. And, and you know, honestly, there's another thing that somebody new to publishing, and, and you're probably very familiar with this, Paco, um, is that unlike board and card products, if if you and I were to make a board and card game, let's say let's say we're making a, a card game about pirates and zombies, mm -hmm. um, nobody's really going to expect us to have a follow up product. If they if we do, that's nice. If they really like it, they'll be glad. But you can't really make a role playing game without knowing what's next. True. There's I don't know a single role playing game that somebody's like just happy to get a world book and that's it. They're done. They don't. They're not looking for a monster manual or a player's handbook or an adventures or a gear book or whatever you know whatever it happens to be. And so that's another consideration. What are you What are you going to do next? And specifically, if you're going to be doing on Kickstarter, that the patience thing comes into uh, a little bit of realism. 
Um, I think one of the dangers people get is they overpromise and they get into a situation where they've promised a lot of stuff. And now they've basically just mortgaged the next three to four years of their creative life to a project. And they don't know if they're, they, they don't know if they're willing and able to do it. They, so we try to counsel people about like when to drop the mic, when to stop asking for more and stop promising more and just do, do right by the thing that you've promised so that then you can have a leg to stand on when you go back later and you say, okay, you 400 people that backed my Kickstarter and got my book. Now I want to do an adventure series. Hopefully those people will be there for you. Okay. That makes, that makes sense. So, okay, let's assume that, you know, I have this project, I have this book that uh, I want mm -hmm. to publish in, in the United States. Um, and I say to you, look, li listen, I, I don't have the book translated yet. Um, mm -hmm. but, um, this it, is, like, it's done really well, you know, three generations of, uh, three editions of the book in, in Spanish and adventures okay. and so on and so forth. Um, I want you to help me market this. How much do I owe you? How much? Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I had so many different possible answers to there. I, I mean, there first of be... yeah. Um, well, so you know more about the Spanish market than I do. So my one of my questions was would be how much of a bleed over do you think there is? Like how many of the people in the Spanish market would be interested in an English language version of none. the Spanish role playing game? The answer is none. Great. Mm -hmm. So you're starting from scratch. Um, but the advantage you have is you have all this great art, yes. I'm assuming. Yeah. So you've got something that a lot of people don't have. Um, you also have reviews, and, um, and it is likely that some of the, the places that have reviewed your Spanish project or uh, product mm -hmm. speak English. Yep. It, it, you know, my experience in Europe is that uh, you know, 25 to 30 percent of people speak English, regardless of what their native language is. So, it is very likely that somebody that has reviewed um, this game uh, speaks English, and they would be able to likely help you with your initial proof of. Um, proof of life uh, they'd be able to translate some of their pull quotes into english for you okay maybe even would be willing to on your on behalf of you maybe they'd be willing to do some testimonial video snippets for you you know 30 seconds here or a minute there you know stuff like that um and so then we would move on to talking about well where where do you, where's your target market is it just the u.s is it u.s and canada and south of africa and, and australia and new zealand like it is it the entire english-speaking world mm -hmm. um because that'll determine where you want to print it the good news about role-playing games uh, is that printing a book in the u.s is actually fairly inexpensive it's not that expensive mm. you can also do it in places like lithuania and poland and whatnot but then you have to ship it you know across the the ocean but you can generally get decent printing prices in the u.s and the lion's share of your english speaking market is in the u.s so printing something in the same country where you're actually going to be sending it to your customers that saves you a lot of aggravation and money um so uh, if the reason we break our services down into three areas logistics marketing and crowdfunding is because that those are the three answers i would give you if you want help with logistics it costs based on you know how many orders we're sending out mm -hmm. if you want help with your kickstarter generally we take a percentage uh we we game around you ask for an advance and then we take a, a cut based on our, our performance which okay. is nice for you because if you don't make money we don't make money okay and then ongoing marketing is honestly, it's harder when you're a new company because you don't have enough products in the line to really um, 
to justify an ongoing contract, but um, we do we do have various levels ranging from uh, you know $100 a month to $6,000 a month that we do for for companies. Um, and so what we would try try to do is work with you through the process of making that first set of product or products um, so that we're metering the amount of effort we put out for you based on the results we think we can get for that. Some companies we have contracts with and we just do some PR and media outreach and social media and email marketing and, and advertising. And it's you know somewhere in the sub $1,000 a month range. Some companies we don't do any monthly stuff. We just say, well, when you have a product, maybe we'll do a, a, a set set of things for you. Um, it is a struggle with a role-playing game company or any company that only has one product. It's harder mm -hmm. because if you had 10 products then and they're releasing every month, let's say, then that gives us an ongoing kind of editorial schedule, marketing editorial schedule. We can be like, oh, we're releasing this in January and then this in March and this in April. And it gives us something to kind of hook our marketing messaging on. But if you like, well, we have a game that's going to come out in July and then we're not going to have another product until the following March. There's not a whole lot that we can do every single month to help you. Hmm. Um, now, in your in your case, your example was a game that already has a lot of stuff. Yeah. So one of the suggestions I would be making for somebody like that is one thing you can do is promise to your Kickstarter backers that everything that you fund um, that you're translating into the English language, they're going to get it immediately. But then I would only release those products into the channel, like to retailers and everything, uh, one, one product a month on a schedule, because that gives you something to talk to media about. It gives you something to talk to distributors and retailers about every month or every other month or every three months. It gives you a roadmap to follow. But the great thing for your backers is they get everything now. And if those backers are retailers, they get that stuff before any other retailers. Right. That's you know attractive to them as well. Right, that makes sense. Okay, so um, let's. The question that uh, when I've spoken to people about advertising and marketing with, mm -hmm. um, the, the question that an awful lot of people ask is, but how do I know it's going to work? So basically, if, if I give you, uh, I don't know, a, a nominal amount, $1,000, how do I know, how do I measure the return on that $1,000 to know that actually it's been well spent? Right. You know, there's the good news is, you remember I said there was good things and bad things that have changed over the last 10 years? One of the good things is that it's now a lot easier to measure that. Okay. Um, so uh, four years ago, you had to figure out how to integrate Google Analytics into your Kickstarter backend somehow to try to figure out how you can determine um, whether your results are having an effect. Now Kickstarter has that built right into their platform. So you can make all sorts of tracking links and you can say, okay, well, we're going to use this link when we talk on Facebook and this on Twitter and this on advertising and this over here on Reddit or whatever it is that we're doing. And you can actually see inside the Kickstarter backend whether or not those things generated money for you. So that's one way. Um, I try to talk to publishers ahead of time to find, uh, my background is as a CPA. So, you know, um, auditing companies, financial statements. Mm -hmm. So I, I do a lot of work trying to figure out what their finances are, trying to figure out really how much money they, they need in order to not lose money, uh, and it on their product line. And we try to identify certain, certain benchmarks. 
you know, the first one is, what do you need not to lose money, obviously? And then there's another one, which is af a little higher, which is um, after this amount of sales, you've kind of, now you've kind of reached a point where it, it has enough momentum that it can fund f future stuff for you, you know? And so we have a conversation and we come to an agreement as to, you know, because I want to be able to stand before, let's say you, uh, as an example, and say, you know, I did a good job for you. Mm -hmm. um, but I can't define that after the fact. I want to work with you beforehand. You agree. That sounds like a good number. If we get to that number, then I think you did a good job. And I say, okay, okay. I'm willing to take I'll take on that job. But if if I feel like you're having an unrealistic expectation, or you feel like you can do more on your own than you th you feel like I can I can bring to the table, then maybe instead of being really involved in the project, maybe all I'm doing is helping you with like an ad buy or some outreach or something. Okay. And of course, the, the price changes based on that. Um, and and of the 400 and some odd projects that we've worked on, some of them were doing everything. You know, we're managing the entire project. And some of them, they just bought a couple ads or they wanted us to reach out to media or um, do a little bit of content marketing. And so some of them are people that they feel like they can do most of the work themselves and, and they don't need us to do um everything that we can do, can do for them um and and so we just kind of like tailor it to the to the particular publisher but generally mm -hmm. um if it was me and i was in your shoes let's say and i hadn't published something yet and i was going to spend a thousand dollars to market a project um i would hope that at least three thousand dollars came back from that at least because you have to understand, you know, you're, you're doing the math, right? So I get $3,000, but Kickstarter and Stripe or, you know, um, the payment company, that's 10% of that. So I'm really only getting $2,700, mm. you know? Um, but that would be kind of like the minimum I would want back. And so I would try to figure out if I thought I could do that on my own. And, and that's one area where you can. So for example, if you were hesitant or nervous about spending money on let's say advertising or marketing through us i would probably try to educate you that you could probably do some tests buying ads on facebook yourself yeah so let's say you were going to do a fifth edition compatible game because it's the easiest one right so i would encourage you to maybe spend a hundred dollars to try to see if you can reach out target ads on facebook to people that are fans of D D. Or even better, people who are fans of like um, Adventure Week games or Cobalt Press, because those are third-party D&D publishers, not D&D itself. And see if you can get some of those people to sign up for your newsletter or like your Facebook page or whatever and get you comfortable with um, how to generate that return on investment without needing me, right? Because if you can do that yourself and, and you don't need me, maybe you'll use me later on to, to, to do other things that you don't need my help for. Um, my goal is to have as many companies be as profitable as possible because that's just more potential customers for us, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, uh, to be totally transparent about it, you know, the better off that every publisher does, the more likely they are to hire us to do work for them, so. No, absolutely. I mean, your your performance is definitely directly related to whether people come, come back to you or not. That's, 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 that's just sensical, I guess. Now, no, know, but my experience has been if you know if you if you try to look out for the best interests of the of the potential client, even if they don't actually work for you, most of them remember that. Yeah. So, um, not always. I mean, there are companies that come to me and they're like, "We want to spend you know 
$5,000 to market our, our PDF on drive-thru RPG. And I say, well, I, I can't in good conscience take your money because you won't see a good result from that. Some of them go spend the money anyway and then waste their money and then they end up going out of business. Um, but some of them, even if they don't give us any money for that marketing, um, come back later and they say, I really appreciate the fact that you actually looked out for our best interest. That means a lot to me that you didn't just take our money and, hmm. you know, and take advantage of us. Um, you know, we've been doing this, I've been in the industry for over 20 years. So, um, you know, I'm not going anywhere. And so long-term relationships are always more valuable than short-term paydays. Agreed. Certainly agreed. So you are using an example of a, a, a Spanish language game that you want to translate into English. Um, and so you ostensibly have a lot of art. And I'm assuming that you or somebody that works with you can speak English, you know, write English, uh, at least good enough to, to communicate with native speakers. Um, you know, I would spend a lot of time on, on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram putting out some of that art and saying, you know, here is, uh, give me an idea. What would this potential game, let's go with Pirates and Zombies because it's the example. So it's a Pirates and Zombies game and you've got all this great art of Pirates and Zombies for this particular game you're going to translate. You know, set up a time, you know, once a week or, uh, or more if you have the assets over the next six months to a year and put those things out on those social channels and communicate to people that this is something that you're, you're building. And if they think it's interesting, then, you know, check out our, you know, sign up for our email newsletter or something of that nature. And like, keep the conversation going, build that community. Um, that is where I would start, but that's all something a publisher can do without my help. We're willing to do that for them if they have other things. Like a lot of times people come to us because they just don't have the time. Hmm. They're really just paying for us. Like they just don't have the time. They want to be able to, let's say, give us a Dropbox of all their art assets right. and say, hey, can, can you do this for us? And the answer is yes. You know, I mean, we manage social media for EVE Online and for, uh, you know, smaller companies too. So we, we can, yes, we can, we can definitely do that. Um, so... I would, I would essentially start there with trying to teach you all the things you can do yourself. And then if there's something that you could do, but you don't have the time, then that's where we would initially step in and say, well, we would do this for you and it would cost you X amount of dollars. Now, the thing though, with, with, in terms of costs, um, uh -huh. how does one fit those costs within the project? Because one thing that it is very obvious to me is that uh, people don't go to make uh, you know, from from the get go, vast amounts of money in in Kickstarter. You know, the idea of Kickstarter is to get the money you need to actually fund the project, and more often than not, those projects tend to be very tied with the margins. So, if, if somebody's asking for twenty thousand dollars, let's say, um, is because they actually need you know twenty thousand dollars. Sometimes they need even more, but they start a little bit less so not to scare off potential right. potential backers so how how does one fit the extra expenditure within the confines of those tight margins in in the terms of the production well i mean there's a couple things to remember or to think about um kickstarter is very useful for two two particular ways one it's cost mitigation mm -hmm. and for every dollar that you can pocket from a backer you don't actually have to spend out of your own pocket to do that thing. Um, so therefore manufacturing costs, let's say you're going to do 2,500 copies of a book and it's going to cost you $10,000 uh, to do it. Well, let's, let's say it's 9,000 because we're accounting for Kickstarter fees for a moment. Um, 
But if you get $9,000, effectively, you didn't pay anything for the manufacturing of that of that book. So that's it, it's important to remember that that you, it's not that the dollar you get from Kickstarter is not the same as a dollar that comes out of your pocket. Right. Right. The other thing is that, I mean, essentially, the Kickstarter is a marketing campaign. So if you've it is a part of the ongoing marketing you're doing for your product line, it is essentially the 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 biggest public facing marketing, almost like a product line launch, if you will. And so um, it is a great way to start a com community around your product and especially a community that is on a platform that is designed to encourage people to give you money, mm -hmm. right? As opposed to Facebook where people may just like your art or may like your short story, but they're not really there to give you money. They're there to entertain themselves. So, um, how to build in those costs? Well, are you familiar with the concept of sunk costs? No. A sunk cost is a cost you've already spent. You're not okay. getting that money back, right? So the half an hour that you spent eating breakfast this morning is a sunk cost. Okay. You're not going to be able to get that half an hour back. Um, that goes doubly for things like paying for a graphic designer to make um, the art for your Kickstarter. You've already paid them. Now it would be nice to recoup that cost, but really, it's not—it's not really a cost of the Kickstarter in the sense that if you don't get that money back, you can still make the game. So sometimes people will say, "Yes, if I wanted to recoup every single cost for everything I've ever spent and pay myself for my time that I spent making this game, I need 20 grand." But I actually only need nine grand to make this product, so they'll ask for 10 because of Kickstarter fees. And so therefore, if they only get 10, at least they can make the game. Mm -hmm. And all the stuff they already spent money on, that's a sunk cost. You can you can do that if you have the money to do that. Mm. <laughs> and that's, that's the difference between whether you're using Kickstarter as, so one way to look at it is, if I don't get money, I'm not making this game. Or if I don't, if I fund, but I don't get everything I need, I'm still gonna make it, but I'm just gonna accept the fact that this is a great way to reduce my the amount of money I need. And so if you're sitting on, let's say you need 20 grand total to make your project and you have 10, mm -hmm. you can ask for 10. And then that way um, you can still do the project. Um, but if you're in the situation where you have no money and you need that 20 grand, you better ask for 20 grand. Because if you ask for 10 and you can't make the game, then, um, then you're going to be in a bad way. Yes. Yes, no, I, I agree. And some people have said to me, uh, <clears throat> you know, um, if you need 5,000, ask for four, uh, and then, you know, when you get to five. But the problem with that is that people expect that by 5,000, you will be offering a stretch goal, which is eating into your initial costs. So you need to make 6,000 to cover the cost for the first one. So it, it doesn't it doesn't really work, does it? I usually go the other way. Sometimes you'll have a, a stretch goal that you really want to offer because it's got a lot of uh, sizzle. Mm -hmm. So there's stake, which is, you know, new content, new rules, new player classes, new whatever. And then there's sizzle, like um, I would say more art, better art, um, maybe some tchotchkes or things that don't cost you a lot of money to produce, but um, but are interesting and they would drive interest in your campaign. In the board game space, uh, if uh, if I was doing a game where I had factions and the only thing I need to do to make a new faction is to add a new player card 
with a piece of art. So maybe it only really cost me $400 to add a new faction to the, to the board game. Mm -hmm. Um, I might still charge $5,000 for that, (laughs) you know, as a stretch goal. Um, but, but that's steak and sizzle, right? It's sizzle because it's a, it's cool looking a little bit, but it's, but if I was adding a mini, like an actual sculpted miniature to that, now that's really, that's sizzle. That's like, wow, I have a thing I can paint, you know? But it's always steak because you're adding to the, you're adding to the, uh, to the usefulness of the game. In an RPG sense, a new player class or a new, you know, more monsters in your monster manual section or whatever. Um, that that is definitely steak. Now, if I had something that was expensive to add, and I knew I couldn't offer it from the beginning, let's say I had, a, I know I'm going to ask for ten grand, but I have this other thing that'll cost me twenty grand to add, but I really want to do it. What I would do is probably make that a later stretch goal, and then I would increase the stretch goals for the things leading up to it by a certain amount so that when I got to that stretch goal, I didn't have to ask for as much. I've already built that money into the other stretch goals I've already done. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, it does. Actually, that's quite clever. Right. The other thing to remember is a lot of times Kickstarters, if if you've done your job right, if we and if we're working with you, if we've done our job right, you want to fund within the first couple days. Hopefully the first day, but you know, at certainly the first week. Um, but if you're if if you if you're pretty sure that you're going to fund in the first day, likely you, you've seen the graphs, right? You've gone on KickTrack and you've seen you get a lot of money at first. Yeah. You get a significant amount of money the day or two after, and then it kind of peters out, and then you're in this no man's land for the well, for the balance of the project, yeah. and then hockey sticks up at the end. So if you're pretty sure that your costs are pretty low at the beginning but you have a fairly expensive, really sexy stretch goal that you want to do, doing that very quickly um, might be a good way to take advantage of that initial funding. Um, there's something that Chris said, Modifius has told me um, he does that I, I think is very valuable um, for RPG companies. And that is um, he goes to his social community mm-hmm. and he actually talks to them about the project and tells them the SKUs he's offering gets them to basically say what they would pay for those things you know and he doesn't consider launching a campaign until he gets a certain amount of responses so you know let's say he's doing a teenage mutant ninja turtles role-playing game let's say right and he right (laughs) and he talks right and he talks to his community he says well tmnt the role-playing game and he's looking for a thousand responses and he gets a thousand responses like immediately Mm -hmm. He knows he's pretty much let. All right, this is going to happen, and it's going to fund well. Yeah, it's on the money. But if he goes and he gets like 120 people to write him back, then he's like, he may not do the project Mm. because obviously he's not. It's not that. It's one of two things: either nobody wants a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles role-playing game, or he's not communicating well. He needs to figure out how to communicate the value of what he's offering, because once you're on Kickstarter, it's all about communication, right? Yes. How do you how do you present it? Um, but to answer your question about how to, how to, you, if you don't have the money to do the game, regardless of how the Kickstarter does, you really do need to be very cautious about reducing your initial ask. If you like in your example, I need five, but I'm only going to ask for four. Mm -hmm. If you don't have that extra thousand dollars yourself, then you're taking a risk. And if you're not willing to go to the bank and take out a loan, if you only get four thousand and one dollars, then you probably shouldn't do the project. Okay. 
that makes sense that makes perfect perfect sense now um to to end the the interview because uh we, we we're going on 49 minutes now that's, and i could spend oh, I, here a long, I, long time I, yeah we could spend hours doing this yeah. you're more than welcome to keep asking questions well so. i believe me I, I i could but i'd rather have you back another time so um, i just sure. i just wanted to ask you one one last question about this and and is hmm. um when would you say that your services or the services of a company like like yours uh to somebody and say look without doing things the way i'm going to tell you the way i would do them your project is never going to succeed uh, when would you say to a company you, you truly need my services to get the project done or you will Got not it. be able to do it okay i it's not that i won't take on a project if they're like hey we're launching in a in a month it's not that i won't do it but i, I prefer to have at least three months prep okay. time and the reason for that is i mean you're a podcaster right yeah obviously we're doing this show yes. <laughs> if i was to write you today paco and i was to say um you know what uh, i've got a guy his name's bob and he's got a he's got a game um, but i would like to get with you ahead of time and maybe do an interview so that it can be part of the kickstarter how long would it take for you to to negotiate your schedule and bob's schedule and then produce the show and then get it ready so that you could drop it on a particular date um, between a month and six weeks right which is the answer to my to your question the the more time that you can spend beforehand doing working with us the better um honestly in a perfect world i would love it if somebody was to come to me and say i haven't written a single word yet like your example the, the yeah. translation if they came to me and said you know we have the spanish game i haven't translated a single word of it yet but I want to tell you kind of what it is and let you look at some of the, the graphics so you can get a kind of a feel, maybe talk to you. That could be a year or 12, 18 months away from being on Kickstarter. I don't know. It depends on how long it takes you to, to do the translation mm, work, yes. right? I would love, I always, always love being a part of the process beforehand because I, I don't usually consider myself as a, uh, you know, a pay-to-play pay guy. I like to develop partnerships and relationships long-term. So yeah, my preference, my preference is to have a very long amount of time working with somebody, working on their finances, working on all the things that makes them successful as a business, not just as a Kickstarter uh, marketing person. That being said, if I had to uh, come into the process at the end somewhere, I really, really prefer at least three months. Okay, so projects in a rush, bad idea. No, it just it limits the options, right? So you yourself said a month to a month and a half just to you know be comfortable with it. So if I'm the guy that wants to set up six to ten of those, that kind of stretches to from one month to six weeks. You know, for you to like it could be as many as two to three months depending on the media. I mean, I'll tell you, um, in the board game space, for instance, if you want to get on Geek Dad, which mm -hmm. is a good place to be, three months minimum. Okay. You know. Um, unless you have a personal relationship with one of the geek dads and you can drive to their house, you know, <laughs> yes. um, which more power to you if you do, you know, if you're in you know, Houston or, or Portland, you, I know of a couple that are very local to you, but, um, but yeah, so it, you know, and that goes into, remember what I said about doubling or tripling the amount of time or money that you consider for something, mm -hmm. um, something always goes wrong. Yes. The other thing to consider is uh, one of the things that we do that helps you gauge interest in your project. I love having the project set up 
and then letting people see it for a couple weeks before a launch. Yes. And the reason that you do that is all the problems that they're going to spot that you didn't spot, you can fix them before the project launches. Mm -hmm. And so the communication in the comments when the Kickstarter launches is about how cool your project is, not about how you misspelled this or you're, you know, you uh, made an error here or your shipping stuff doesn't make sense or, you know, you, people aren't going to get distracted by minutia. They're, they can just be focused on making cool, you know, talking about the cool stuff you have going on. Good. Okay. Okay. Fine. That's that's actually good. Right. Let's let's wind down a, a sure. little bit. Let's let's wind down. So I I have um three questions to end. You know, and these are just you know one of the ah the three last question kind of zang moment in here. Um. Okay. So. Sure. Um, what is the best mistake that you would love to repeat? Wow, uh, <laughs> I, I'm 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 totally going outside of the game industry for that one. Uh, if if you don't mind, no, um, not at all. The, the best. The, actually, no, I'll keep it in the in the game industry. I the best mistake I would ever I would choose to repeat would be um, probably funding Eden Studios when I started in the game industry because I didn't know what I was doing, mm -hmm. and it was it was a mis logically if I had to look back that was a mistake, um, but. Um, I don't consider it a mistake that I didn't learn something valuable from. So uh, I don't consider mistakes to be, you know, unless I'm, you know, killing somebody, uh, I don't consider them to be bad. Mistakes are always opportunities for learning. Agreed. And so, yeah, it was a waste of money, <laughs> but um, the company's still doing well. It's not that it's not, it's just, I'm not a part of it anymore. So um, probably wasn't the best use of my money considering where I was, but I wouldn't be here today without it. Okay. Good. Um, you have a time machine and you go back in time and um, you say to your 10 year old self, don't do this. What is this? Don't lie to your wife. <laughs> okay. Doesn't matter what it's about. She's she's a strong woman and she can take it. She better. She, she would rather know the truth about everything. Okay, well, that's that's a good one. Um, right, Ed, um, thank you uh, very, very much indeed for, for being with me today. Um, I seriously, if it weren't already midnight, I, I, I could spend hours and hours and hours talking about this topic uh, sure. with you quite, quite easily. Anytime. So hopefully, we'll, we'll have you back very soon indeed. Okay. And done. That, my friends, needed a little bit of editing because all, all sorts of things happened throughout the interview. And I, I got a blank mind uh, going on for a couple of minutes. The Ed stepped in and I was struggling to find some questions off the top of my head that I thought would be interesting to you and not just to me. But I enjoyed that thoroughly. Uh, and I, I have to say, I enjoyed it listening back to it as well and remembering an awful lot of the things that it has, has said to me there and um, you know listening twice to it uh, it makes it quite obvious that um, th this is an immense field and although yes it is absolutely right uh, you could do anything 
that Alice is doing for you. But you know what? He knows how to do it, what to do. And uh, that's, that's, that's why he's got a job doing this. And seriously, if you are going to prepare a crowdfunding project, consider using a marketing agency, especially a specialized one, because uh, the difference can be quite dramatic. And yes, of course, it is a risk. But everything is a risk. Doing a crowdfunding is a risk. And of course, it's very difficult to quantify if you're getting back a, a return on your investment. Of course, it is. But you know what? Advertising works. Marketing works. So go for it. Have a go. Uh, have a little bit of budget for that. Even if it's just for a you know, consultation. Go for it. You might be very pleasantly surprised. Thank you very much indeed for being there. I truly, truly appreciate it. The intro music is Astral Doors, London Caves. And the outro, thank, thank goodness, thank goodness for one of uh, our fans in Facebook, Neri Mexicano III, who found out that the outro music is by Shade, and it's called Feeder. Uh, well, the opposite, actually. Neri Mexicano III, who found out that the song is called Shade, and it's from a group called Feeder, from the album Swim. It, it was a re-release, and it is... Uh, well, it's in YouTube, so it's, you, you can now find it and, and enjoy it to the full. Anyway, thank you so much again for being there. Truly, really appreciate it. I look forward to the next. Please do let me know if you would like to come to the show and, and we can have a chat. And if you have any questions or any comments, uh, you can always reach me at podcast at gmsmagazine.com. Uh, I may always be quick to reply. Because I'm genuinely up to, uh, up to my eyeballs, uh, but I promise, I promise that I will answer. Feel free to follow us at uh, GMS Magazine in Twitter, and also find us in GMS Magazine in Facebook. Thank you once again, and uh, I'll talk to you very soon.